What's up, folks? This is Tony Brewer. You're listening to, or watching as the case may be, Cogitations. Cogitations is the podcast where we think about things, we contemplate them, we turn them over in our minds, and then we discuss them. Daniel chapter 7, verse 28, Daniel writes, Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations much troubled me. My countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. We're not going to keep the matter in our heart. We're going to talk about it. Today, we're going to talk about our priorities or our perspective, probably more so our perspective. I'm going to read, incidentally, in its entirety, the 73rd Psalm, because I believe that's a psalm that is all about perspective and priority. And there is a lot in the 73rd Psalm that we can learn today and apply to our everyday walks of life as Christians. Hello, Sword and Pearl. It's so good to see you. So good to see everybody as they're rolling in. Uh, Sometimes we get people rolled in right at the very beginning. Sometimes it takes a little bit longer. And uh, anyway, um, it's, it's nice. And we're so thankful for all of you that tune in and for all of you that tune in on a regular basis. John Exum, that's it. We're cogitators in the Tater family. Uh, good morning, John. And Terry Crooks, it's good morning to you. Incidentally, for those of you coming in, I added uh, a caption for the bottom third. Uh, something I want to be doing. So this is the email for Christianity Now. It's Christianity Is Now, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-I-T-Y-I-S-N-O-W, Christianity Is Now, at gmail.com. And that's the email that we use for Christianity Now. For show topic suggestions or questions that you would like to have answered, uh, send them to me in an email. Uh, the, the content for Cogitations historically, predominantly, has been driven by user interaction. For instance, we have a person that listens to our podcast most every day at home. And I saw in another group, they ask a question that touched on the age of accountability. In other words, when is a young person ready to obey the gospel? Well, I'm not going to go into that forum and, and enter into a conversation. I don't think there's anything I could add. He's getting some really good, he's getting some really good uh, feedback and, and suggestions and stuff like that. But he is one of our listeners, and this is a question that comes up quite often. So tomorrow I'm going to talk about, uh, for our Friday show, I'm going to talk about the age of accountability. So, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. Oh, awesome. Sword and Pearl says, awesome. I definitely have questions I'd love to hear you discuss. Thank you very much. All right. Now, a matter of perspective. I've got some notes here. And we're going to look at this. Um, here, here's what I wrote in the show notes. My thoughts have been wandering lately to the importance of our priorities and perspective. What is really important to Christians and from what perspective should we view things on our journey of faith? So that's what we're going to talk about. Yeah, I prefer the point of maturity. Ah, Maybe. I think the age of accountability is very apropos because there is a definite line at which a person is not accountable to any law whatsoever, and then they are accountable to the law, which in this instance would be the law of Christ. So what, what age would that be? And I, it, it is tied to maturity. So 
I can see why you would say the point of maturity. But anyway, all right, but we'll talk about that tomorrow. Folks, red pill, blue pill, white pill, black pill. You've heard me talk about that. Good morning, Danny Venter. So typically politics, if you're in the United States of America, if you're a Democrat and you have been given information and exposed to things that causes you to be a Republican, then you've been red-pilled. If you're a Republican and you have seen things that causes you to become a Democrat, then you've been blue-pilled, all right? So throw that out the window. That's not what we're talking about today. I want you to, I want you to train your mind, your mind uh, to think about this. Or think about it in this way and, 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 and view life through this lens. Like, how do I want to be and how do I interact with the world around me? White-pilled versus black-pilled, okay? What does that mean? Well, think about light and darkness. Ecclesiastes, the preacher begins with all is vanity. Everything is worthless. There's no use. All is vanity. It's nothing but vanity. The things that were before are coming again. There's nothing new under the sun. If you're, if you work hard and build up a fortune, you're just going to die and leave it to some lazy man. If you're wise and you build up wealth and a kingdom, you're just going to die and leave it to some fool. The rich man and the poor man both go to the same location. The human and the dog both go to the same location. Everybody's going to die. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Folks, that's black pill. That's nihilism. That's not any kind of way we want to be. We want to be white-pilled in that we want to see the positive, and the only way to do that is from the perspective of safety inside the boundaries of the kingdom of God ruled by Jesus Christ through whom we have a relationship and path to God the Father in eternity. If God be for us, who can be against us? I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I know how to both be abased and I know how to abound. I count not myself to have apprehended but one thing, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth toward those things that are ahead, I press toward the prize of the, I press towards the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Folks, we have to be white-pilled as Christians. We should be white-pilled as Christians. We shouldn't be all gloom and doom and, and apocalyptic world ending. Oh, woe is me. Everybody hates Christians. I think about that song we used to sing as children. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. I guess I'll just go eat worms. We don't want to be Eeyore from the Winnie the Pooh series from the Hundred Acre Woods. Eeyore, who cares? Nobody likes me anyway. It's all bad. I'm just going to sit over here and eat thistles. Like, okay, well, have at it. But Christians ought to be a joyous people. In fact, we are commanded to be joyful. Joyful is a virtue that must be practiced. And you can't practice joyfulness while being black-pilled, while looking for the negative and only focusing on the negative. 
We won't that we won't we don't want to be the grapes of wrath from Veggie Tales. I don't John, I've never seen Veggie Tales. That's a that's a cultural reference with, with which I'm not familiar. Uh, or Christians trying to impose the Old Testament on us today. Yeah, we certainly don't need that. All right. Now, God loves a merry soul. You got that right. So we're going to look at, what, six things I've got here. Priorities for Christians, perspective on earthly and spiritual matters. We're even going to look at the balance between faith and works, stewardship and service. We're going to talk about endurance with trials or endurance in trials, and we're going to talk about hope and the promise of Christ's return. So we are going to, by the end of this podcast, hopefully, you will have thought about this enough, I will have thought about this enough, and I will be able to keep this in the forefront of my mind that I can walk through this world focused on the positive, and my perspective will have changed. Now, let's go to the Psalms, and, well, actually, Actually, before we do that, I feel the need to let us hear from a word, a word rather, from our sponsor. Are you part of a church congregation or any institution for that matter seeking effective ways to spread the word about your event? Well, look no further. Lindsay Dotson specializes in designing modern advertisements for churches. Whether it's flyers, postcards, or social media graphics, Lindsay has got you covered. Reach out through a private message on Facebook or send an email to lindsayfaydotson at gmail.com. That's the preferred method for more details. Don't miss this opportunity to make your message resonate both far and wide. Contact Lindsay Dotson, lindsayfaydotson at gmail.com for more information today. Folks, let's read the 73rd Psalm. And I'm going to put our... uh, for show inform or for show topics and questions, send an email to www.christianityisnow at gmail.com. We are the grapes of wrath. We'll never take a bath. It's it is our style to seldom smile and never laugh. We are the grapes of wrath, so stay out of our path. There's no escape from cranky grapes. We are the grapes of wrath. That's a lyric from the grapes of wrath. Ah, that's pretty cool. All right. Now, the 73rd Psalm is a psalm about someone who is black-pilled, but then they realize something that causes them to be white-pilled. Let's listen to it. Psalm 73. Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, My feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men. Neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compassed them about like a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than the heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak softly. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walketh through the earth. 
Therefore his people return hither, and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, How doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily, I've cleansed my heart in vain, and I've washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places, thou castest them down into destruction. How were they brought into desolation? As in a moment, they are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awaketh, so, O Lord, then thou awakest, and thou shalt despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I, and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? and there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For lo, they are afar from thee, shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord, that I may declare all thy works. Folks, what we have just read is a psalm, a song from the perspective of a man who had lost his focus, had become myopic, and had started accentuating and focusing on the negative, but yet he remembered his place in the kingdom, and he remembered that those people are not having a place in the kingdom, and he understood their end. Have you ever looked at this world today in modern times and thought so many things are going wrong, so many things are going bad, so much oppression, so much ugliness, so much evil? I can't do anything. All these people are prospering. I've obeyed the gospel in vain. What good's it do me? There's no way we can last through this. If you've ever thought that way, then God bless you. Welcome to the club. You are a human being. But we have to focus on what God has done for us. Jesus died on the cross. We might be tempted to think, well, all these wicked people are prospering. Why hasn't God done anything to handle that? God did do something to handle that. He sent his son to die on the cross. Not that we might have a very, very prosperous and easy life in this world for a very, very short time, but for eternity, we could live with him in safety and comfort and contentment. Remember, we have to reprioritize and change our perspective. 
We don't prioritize the things of this world. We prioritize the spiritual realm. What is your vocation? Paul says for us to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we are called. Are you a widget maker in a factory? That's not your vocation if you're a Christian. Your vocation is you're a soldier of the cross. How can I maintain my joy when I feel overwhelmed by the non-biblical beliefs of both Christians and non-Christians, which are based on human doctrines and make me feel sad? Ayul Kunli, good morning to you. Wayne Vaughn, good morning to you. Terry Crooks, that's a really good, that's a really good question. You have to change your, your, your perspective. Remember those people that, that are non-biblical, those people that profess Christianity, but they do not follow the book. God's going to take care of them. In fact, so sure is God handling that business, then you can speak of it as if it's already handled. And I think about the non-Christians. I mean, I really hate that there are non-Christians out there that don't follow the Bible. The world would be a better place if all non-Christians followed the Bible. I know that sounds weird, but you can be an atheist and live according to the Bible and have a better life on this earth than you would otherwise. And the world would be a better place. Now, you're not going to get to heaven because in order to please God, you've got to believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. But the world would be a better place. I think about that parable in Matthew chapter 4, or excuse me, in Mark chapter 4 about the kingdom of heaven being like a man that went out into the field to sow seed, and he comes back in, and the seed germinates and sprouts and brings forth a, uh, and he knoweth not how, but in due season it brings forth a blade, a, a stalk, and then the ear, and then the corn in the ear that's ready for harvest. And once it's ready for harvest, he runs out there and he harvests it. Let me see. Yeah, I'm going to read it. Verse 26 of Matthew, uh, Mark, Mark, Mark. Verse 26 of Mark 4. So is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed into the ground and should sleep and rise night and day and the seed should grow up, should spring and grow up, he knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade and the, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth immediately, he putteth forth he putteth his in the sickle because the harvest is come. So my Terry Crooks, my advice would be keep planting that gospel seed and understand that whether or not people receive it, that's not up to you and me. And as much as it saddens us, we're not going to stand or fall based on them. In fact, there's another passage of Scripture that might comfort you that comes up in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I think this is rather profound. First Corinthians chapter three, sorry. Let's see. Oh, right here. I want to read verse 13, starting in verse 13 of chapter three and bring a, and bring a point, hopefully of comfort from this. 
Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall have a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so is by fire. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Now, this is not talking about the individual. This is talking about collectively. We are part of the church. It's a, it's, we, we are a part of a whole. The temple of God. You can read about this in the blueprint for the temple of God, for the church, at the end of Ephesians chapter 2. There's the foundation of the prophets and the apostles, the Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. We are the bricks built up on that, and then God is in the, is in the temple. That's, that's the church. We enter into it through passing through the boundary of, of the Holy Spirit. Well, how do we enter into the church? Who who adds us to the church? Well, you have to be moved from the world into the temple and you pass through the boundary that's set by the Holy Spirit's instructions at the authority of Jesus. I mean, that's that's pretty plain. Now, how do we get comfort from this? Well, check this out. Paul is talking to the church here in Corinth about laborers building, all right? Verse 10, according to the grace of God, which was given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. But every man needs to take heed how he builds. For the other foundation can no man lay that is laid which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build up one, build up on this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble. So whenever you're evangelizing, whenever you're obeying, whenever you're uh, studying with people and they're obeying the gospel, you're building the church. But now some of those are going to be wood, hay, and stubble, and some of them are going to be gold, silver, and precious stones. The imagery of a crown also is used. Wood, hay, stubble, gold, silver, precious stones. There is going to be a day where this crown is tried. Well, if you have wood, hay, and stubble, when that wood, hay, and stubble is burned off by the fiery trial, you're going to be sad. But you will have a crown of gold, silver, and precious stone. We have to look at it that way. Now, there's two different interpretations. One is that any day of trial is the day in question. I rather think that what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is on the day of judgment, we are going to be tried, as it were, by fire. All right? Gold, silver, precious stones are going to remain. Wood, hay, stubble is not. And we're going to feel the loss. And my biological father is wood, hay, stubble. He has gone on. I mean, it's, it's terrible. He's gone on to his reward. We missed that opportunity. He never obeyed the gospel. 
I'm not the judge, but I, I know what the Bible says. And if I'm honest with what the Bible says, I know where he is. And that hurts me. And it's going to hurt even on the day of judgment, even on, on, on the day of the second coming of Jesus. But I know that I have a crown that once that, once that day passes and I enter into my eternal reward, I'm going to be wearing that crown of gold, silver, and precious stones. And that's, that's the only way I can function. If I, if I focus too much on it, I'll shut down. I won't do what I'm supposed to do as a Christian. When I look at the world and I look at the people that reject Christ and are antagonistic to Christianity, I have to take the attitude of the psalmist. If I were to complain about publicly how bad everything is, and how terrible everything is, and how hard it is for Christians, then I would be indicting God. I wouldn't be able to do that. And that's, that's what the psalmist alludes to. He said, if I, if I will say, if I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. Hello, David. It's good to see you. I've got some comments here. John Exum, what'd the hair lip dog say? Um, let me go into the chat. We can do what we can do. We can't not worry about them. I know it sounds cold-hearted. We all have the same Bible and know what God would have us to do regardless of our position or the position of others. That's from Greg James, and that is absolutely correct. And that's, that's the thrust of the point. That's, that's the thrust of the psalmist. We've got to do what we do. We've got to live the way Jesus, well, in the psalmist perspective, we've got to live the way God would have us to live. From our perspective, we've got to live according to the commandments, precepts, divine examples of Jesus Christ. Okay. Found in the New Testament. And we understand that they're, the wicked are going to prosper we don't need to try to understand it. In fact, you can read the book of Ecclesiastes. That's a really good book. There are, there are rules in the cosmos that wicked people can, can exploit. I mean, think about it. Go all the way back. And you hear me. This is an old hat. But Genesis 4, that's God's social contract. If thou doest well, will it not be accepted of thee? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire. And thou shalt rule over him. So you're going to enter into a copulative relationship with sin, the progeny of which is chaos, death. So if you're a wicked person and you want to game the system, just live by the, the rules of society. L ascertain a sense of societal propriety. Live according to those rules. Live sober-mindedly and upright before your fellow man. Don't cheat, lie, steal, fornicate, or anything like that. And you can kind of game the system and you can be ruthless while also working in, in alignment with the rules of the cosmos. And if you do well, you can be very, very successful in this world. However, that will not get you one scintilla of the smallest increment of measurement that you can think of into heaven. 
because without a relationship with God, it's just not going to happen. I've said the work of the preacher is working, not policing. Too many times, some are about one another's business. Yes, this is the main thing that I've been communicating up here at Riverview. You know, whenever I preach, I've got to preach sometimes really, really hard stuff. So I make sure, like, look, this is one of those hard sayings that if you've got a set of ears, this is for you. I'm not your daddy. I'm not your God. I'm not your boss. You have to take this and assimilate it and apply it to your life and make the necessary changes. And if you don't, well, then it's going to go bad for you on the day of judgment. But quite frankly, it's none of my business. Now, somebody will hear me say that and they will say, well, we're supposed to look after one another and we're supposed to bear one another's burdens. That is absolutely correct. But in the big picture, there is one person Tony is responsible for, and that's me. I am not responsible for my wife. I'm not responsible for my children. I'm not responsible for you. I'm not responsible for the members of the congregation where I worship. Ultimately, it's going to boil down to standing before God on the day of judgment, and it's going to be me. What did I do? That's, that's what I'm talking about when I say that. Again, I just read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and I gave you my interpretation. In the day of judgment, we're going to have wood, hay, stubble burned off. Well, the wood, hay, stubble represents those people that we've come in contact with that may have even obeyed the gospel but weren't sincere or fell away for some reason. And we're going to feel a, a sharp loss. We have to understand, though, that it's us. Our main goal is to get us to heaven. Our secondary goal is to take as many people as we can with us. But whatever we do, we don't compromise the first goal for the second, if that makes any sense. Yeah, we have our own responsibility, absolutely. Save the soul and do our best not to be concerned about those who don't want to accept the gospel. Absolutely. And there's a Facebook user in that says morning. And to that person, I say, good morning. All right. So I think we've kind of laid the foundation here. Let's talk about priorities and perspective. We need to, we, from the perspective of the safety of the kingdom, we need to prioritize God and living for him. We don't need to focus on how the wicked are prospering. We don't need to focus on how, quote-unquote, bad everything's getting. We need to understand, whenever we come into the sanctuary, the end of those who stand against God. They are set truly in slippery places. God will focus his attention on them one day, and it will not go well for them. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to his work. Revelation twenty two twelve. The core of Christian living is encapsulated in two great commandments. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. That's found in Matthew 23, 37 through 39. These commandments highlight the dual priority of loving God and loving others 
with the implication of loving self, and it forms the bedrock of Christian ethics and practice. You must love God. You must, and, and this is the priorities love God first, self second, others third. Don't fall into this horse hockey of, well, the order is joy. You, it's Jesus, others, and yourself. No, you cannot. The, 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 the metric by which we love others, the standard by which we are to love others is our love of self. I will tell you this. There are people that I know that judging by how they treat themselves, I don't want them loving me to the same level as they, they love their self because that's almost like being hateful. I'm going to love others as good as I love myself. If I can't take care of me, then I can't take care of you. And that is that, that would be corroborated in 1 John chapter 3. Go read 1 John chapter 3. If any man is blessed in this world's good and seeth his brother have need, and he opens up not his bowels of compassion unto him, how then dwelleth the love of Christ in him? The implication there is ability plus opportunity equals responsibility. So let's say you know somebody whose house burns down. And let's say that you don't even have a house. You don't even have any money at all. You're barely scraping by, paying rent, buying groceries. And you don't have anything extra. You're not obligated to alleviate that person's suffering. I tell you what you are obligated to do. You're obligated to do what you can. Now, what can you do? Well, you might not have any money. You might not have any clothes. You might not have any material goods, but you do know people. And so you can offer them your time and attention, and you can remember them to other people. You know, maybe if they have a GoFundMe or something like that to help with the, with, with the replacement costs for the things they lost in the fire, it doesn't cost you a dime to share that. And, and I'll go ahead and do a shameless plug for the Christianity Now brand. We talk all the time about, hey, we'd love for you to support us monetarily, $5 a month on Substack, or help us get monetized on YouTube, or send money to nearchurches at gmail.com, all that good stuff. But if you can't do that and you still want to help, well, it don't cost anything to share the content. It don't cost anything to get a free subscription to Substack and copy and paste a link to every article we put out and put it on your timeline. doesn't cost you a dime. So I think a lot of times we forget that how we are to love our neighbors is the level at which we're able to love ourselves, and we're only obligated to do what we can. We are only obligated to use the abilities that we have. The five-talent man he was obligated to do more than the four-talent man. Two-talent ta two man. And the one-talent man was not obligated to do as much as the two-talent man. I feel like those numbers are wrong. Why do I feel like those numbers are wrong? The one, one guy was given five talent. The other was given two talent. The other was given one talent. Is that not it? I've got, I mean, anyway, 
I will look at it in scripture. Okay. So priorities for Christians, prioritize God, prioritize self, prioritize others. But now if you prioritize in that way, then it is incumbent upon you then to actually prioritize others. Once you take care of yourself and once you can do that, then bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. All right. Number two, let's talk about our perspective on earthly and spiritual matters. You know, Paul often addresses the tension between earthly concerns and spiritual focus. I love the the passage in Colossians. If ye then be risen with him, set your affection on those things that are above, not on the things of this earth. If you then be risen with him. Folks, if we have our perspective right and we are looking at spiritual matters and we understand their eternal nature, what in the world could we be tempted with to lead us away from that heavenly reward. Think about Lazarus. He was in Abraham's bosom. Lazarus, come forth. Hey, somebody needs to go get him out of those grave clothes. All right, Lazarus, you're just going to live on this earth until you die. I imagine Lazarus wanted to go back, don't you? I imagine Abraham's bosom was pretty comfortable. Now, imagine a week after Lazarus was resurrected from the dead and you say, you know what? I'm going to pull a Balak. You know what Balak did? Balaam said, look, I can't curse the Israelites because God is with them. But what I can do, I can show you how to get their goody. Here's what you do. They got a weakness for idolatry and, and, and wild women. So you go get these daughters of Moab and you parade them in front of the men of the Israelites and they'll fornicate and they'll do whatever it takes and they'll be led away and then God will curse them and we won't have to. So if you wanted to pull a Balak on Lazarus and you wanted to hire a wild woman to seduce him away into fornication, do you think you could do it? I don't think you could. I think that woman come up whispering sweet nothings into his ear. I think he'd laugh. He go, woman, what in the world do you think that you have to offer me that could compare with what I've already experienced that I know that I'm going to be going back to if I remain faithful? You see, Lazarus would always set his affection on those things that are above. If our affections are set on those things that are above, then the earthly problems will pale in comparison with the reward of the future. So we have to change our perspective. And I'll go back. I don't care how old it gets. I don't care if we wear it out. We can wear a hole in the page. Paul, Philippians chapter 3, I count not myself to have apprehended but this one thing. I forget those things that are behind. And I look forward to those things that are ahead. I press towards the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Folks, we have to change our perspective. And we have to understand the importance of spiritual matters over earthly matters.
If the living knew what the dead knew, we'd live a totally different life. You got that right. Hello, Jason Goldtrap. I don't think I saw you. Faith and works. It's something we need to focus on. Well, let me change that. This is something I need to focus on. Uh, I don't know if you need to focus on it or not. If I'm a human being, and I'm pretty sure that you are, then we probably need to focus on it. I think sometimes I fall into this trap. You tell me whether or not you fall into this trap. I focus on the things that I can see. I can see my works. Maybe sometimes I focus, and this is confession time, maybe sometimes I focus on works, not to the, not to the neglect necessarily of my faith. I'll just leave it at that. The balance between faith and works is another area of importance. Faith without works is dead. I mean, the works are important. It's that important, James 2.26. Faith without, faith without works is dead being alone. James even went so far as to say, hey, you people, y'all holler all the time. <laughs> this, is not, this is not a verbatim quote. Y'all holler all the time about how you have faith, but you don't have any works. You'll never hear me hollering about I have faith. You'll know I have faith by my works. Well, true faith in Christ absolutely manifests in actions that reflect God's love and commandments. So we need to prioritize these actions that demonstrate faith. But we never, ever need to lose focus on the trust in Jesus. I mean, that's really what faith is. It's action you take based on what you believe. If you don't believe anything, but you're just taking all the actions and you're trying to earn your salvation, you're trying to earn your spot into heaven, and that's, that's, that's not what we need to do at all. Mm. I go back to my 100-year-old men, the tale of two Christians. Both of these Christians obeyed the gospel when they were 20, and they lived the same life, going to church every time the doors open, giving extracurricular activities, all of that. Pillars of the community. Maybe both of them were elders in the Lord's church. Both of them die at 100 years old. One goes to torment, the other goes to paradise. What's the difference? Faith and works. One trusted in Jesus, one trusted in his works. It's that important. I need to constantly buffet my mind and understand that the reason I can have this assurance of salvation is not because of the sweat of my brow and the strength of my back, but it's because. I was poor in spirit, and at my most helpless and most vulnerable, I called on the name of Jesus Christ for protection from the wrath of an almighty creator. And I will forever dedicate the life that he saved back to him in order to be found faithful in the end. So many lost people that think that baptism is a work, yet everything commanded before baptism is actually works that you must do. Baptism is nothing that you can do because it's done to you. I agree with that statement. And 
I'm not, I'm not mitigating, Danny, your statement whatsoever. I'm just pointing to this is a perfect example of faith and works. Um, if we don't watch it, we can teach and focus on baptism to the point where it does sound like we're teaching a works salvation. However, if we don't ever mention the works, then we're going to come across as we're teaching a faith-only salvation. That's why we have to strike a good balance, dare I say, a scriptural balance in our teachings of faith and work. And in, in fact, uh, in the beginning stages of the Christianity Now Substack, I wrote quite a bit on this balance of faith and works and baptism and what saves us and are we saved by faith alone. Um, may 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 try some of those key words and see if you can find some of those articles. Uh, I'm, I, if I do say so myself, uh, they were they were good articles. Um, absolutely, uh, yes, sir. That's a total balance that capital M, capital U, capital S, capital T must be applied to us all. And Jason Goldtrap says, I found Christianity now on Substack, but I do not see a way to watch the show there. Jason, I am sorry if I if I alluded to the fact that you could do that. Um, I don't know of a way to live stream on the Substack. Uh, the 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 audio archive to all of these podcasts are loaded on the Cogitations podcast channel on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, and others. But what we do is we we release an article every day, and then you can watch the show on YouTube or Facebook or Twitter. We're actually stream on Twitter. Um, it's not Twitter, it's X, but it's formerly known as Twitter. So that may have been my fault. Um, oh, okay, can I live stream on YouTube? Uh, I don't know if you can or not. I think if you live stream from your phone, you have to have a 1,000 subscribers or something like that. But you can live stream from a desktop on day one with zero to subscribers, but you can watch the live stream for Christianity now on YouTube. And in fact, as much as we love Facebook and others, I would rather people watch the live stream. Gotcha, Jason. Yeah. I would rather people watch the live stream on YouTube and share the live stream from YouTube on their social media, because here's the thing. It takes a thousand subscribers and 4,000 watch hours. So you got to have, a thousand watt, a thousand subscribers, and then in twelve months, any twelve month period, you have to have four thousand watch hours. Well, the first year we were in business, I guess we had we've got over two thousand watch hours. So now, if we focus in twenty twenty four on growing this just a little bit, we'll be able to be monetized by the end of the year. Now, that that doesn't mean anything for y'all, but what happens is is YouTube makes money off people using their platform. So they're making money off of you watching this live stream and off of me live streaming it. So if we if we're monetized, Facebook or YouTube just kind of shares the revenue. Awesome. So, hey hey Alabama, I I do have a podcast playlist on the YouTube, the Christianity Now and it's just, it's under Cogitations Podcast or Christianity Now Cogitations or something like that. But so far as I know, every one of our live streams are on that playlist. So anyway, thank y'all so much. Now, 
So we've talked about this striking a balance between faith and works. Now let's get into stewardship and service, which we need to prioritize stewardship and service. And in fact, the article that I wrote today um, was about balancing riches and our Christian walk. Sadly, I can't remember the title. Danny Minter says, I'm not a YouTuber, so I watch on Facebook. And Danny, keep it up. We're always going to stream on Facebook. And you can still share the content. But if uh, if you would, go over there to Substack, sign up for a free subscription, and uh, you can take advantage of our content there. So let's talk about the principle of stewardship as depicted in the parable of the talents, Matthew 25, 14 through 30, underscores the importance of responsibility using the gifts and resources God has entrusted to each person. Think about it, and thank you very much, Danny Minter. Uh, So think about it. My, my, I'm sorry, my, my, you just saw me buffer. Um, think about it. What was I going to say? Not everybody has the same responsibility of stewardship and service as others. Uh, let's say that Bill Gates was a Christian. And Bill Gates is a multi-billionaire. You know what? He's got more of a responsibility as far as, as far as helping out financially than I would. You know, I don't, I don't have near a billion dollars. I don't have near a million. I don't, I don't even have near a hundred thousand. But anyway, I literally have hundreds of dollars and, and, and that's not much compared to Bill Gates. So if Bill Gates and I were in the same congregation, Bill Gates might be like, Hey, look, I I don't have this particular skill set, but I got a lot of money. And if we can find people with this particular skill set, I can make sure we can ha- have the finances to pay them. So that's stewardship and service. And that's using, now the word talents is a unit of money. So this is how much you've been blessed with. This doesn't really have anything to do with, well, John can sing. Uh, Jamie leads a very eloquent prayer. Uh, Bob is really eloquent in, in presiding over the Lord's Supper. So we're going to use these people's talents there. I, I get that's how we use the term in English, but this, this idea is what has God blessed us with? We need to, we're stewards of it. So we need to put into the service of the kingdom the material blessings that God has blessed us with. I've always said that if if I was ever blessed with being a multimillionaire, then there would be a whole lot of work done for the Lord. Um, you know, that, that's just all there is to it. I, I think about what we need up here. We need, uh, we need a building that's forty foot by sixty four that I think is going to be about three quarters of a million dollars. We really need it. Now, what we're going to do is we're probably going to settle on uh, building using an addition on our current building that's about $250,000. And, uh, but it would be much better to just build a 40 by 64 with some classrooms, a fellowship hall, uh, a baptistry, and all that good stuff. So anyway, something to think about. 
Uh, if you know anybody that's got an extra few hundred thousand laying around and they want to uh, give it away to a worthy cause to build a building, uh, you contact me and I'll put you into contact with the treasurer of the Riverview Church of Christ and we can make that transfer and yeah, we'll we'll put your we'll put your picture up right on the steeple if that's what you want to do. Anyhow, uh, actually, we wouldn't. That would cause a ruckus, wouldn't it? Everybody would think it'd be the church of whoever donated the money. We don't need to do that. I'm just kidding. But if you got an extra million, holler at us now. Stewardship and service. I digress. Uh. Whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. That's Matthew 20, verse 27. This places a high value on serving others as a priority in Christian life. Folks, we need to understand, I I think based on some material that I put out not too long ago, we've got a skewed view of what leadership is. Did you know that the gospel preacher, that's not a leadership position. Deacons, they're not leadership positions. If you've got a woman who is uh, organizing the Bible class curriculum for the sixth grade below, she's not in a leadership position. There's only one leadership position at the local level, and that's the eldership, and they are servants to Almighty God. So we have to serve. And if you, and again, if, if you want to differentiate yourself from the crowd in the Lord's church, don't do it as a leader. Do it as a servant first. And if you're always found to be serving, that group of people in the congregation will exalt you in due time, and you will be given responsibility. You will, In fact, if you meet the requirements otherwise, you will, you will probably be ordained as an elder in the Lord's church. Sometimes I miss the playlist because they're in a different place. It's usually the second choice, but I've learned to keep reading until I find it. Gotcha. Yeah, you have to. In fact, I can I can do this right now. I'm going to go to YouTube, and I'm going to go to my channel. View your channel. Yeah, so up at the top, it's got home, video, shorts, live, podcast, playlist, and community. And there's 142 episodes in Cogitations and Christianity Now playlist. And you can also find that playlist by clicking on podcast. So that's pretty cool. All right. Now, stewardship and service. I think we got that down. If you're blessed in this world's good, communicate that to others. In fact, we've had verses about that. First Timothy, Paul talks about that. Um, Perseverance in trials, folks. You have heard of the patience of Job, as James writes. Patience in the King James typically means perseverance. But listen to this. The New Testament often speaks of perseverance in trials. It's a key aspect of faith. James encourages believers to Count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh perseverance, patience. But let patience have a perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Going through trials, if we change our perspective when it comes to trials, we will understand that although we're suffering for a season, we're going to be rewarded for eternity. 
that the suffering of this temporary earth pales in comparison to what is waiting for us in eternity. So we have to change our perspective on suffering. Think about this. If I go to the doctor and I say, doctor, my bicep, it's hurting really, really bad, and it's hard. It's like naughty. And the doctor feels that and everything. Yeah, it does feel hard, and it feels well-formed too. You know, we need to we need to do an x-ray, and we need to do some, um, we need to do, it's, it's, Jason Goldstrap, you gotta you gotta look up Christianity Now streams, Christianity Now streams, and you'll you'll find the channel that way. I don't I don't know that I can. Well, I think I, yeah, I probably can post a link. Actually, now that I'm, I didn't realize I had this open. So think about going to the doctor. Your bicep is sore, and the doctor does blood work, and he comes back and says, "Well, you've got a really." rare form of arm cancer and that's where your pain is coming from like that would be hard to bear if that pain would would cause you to be depressed that's a trial but what if you went to the doctor and said doc my arm my bicep it's 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 big it's knotty and uh it hurts and the doctor does blood work, does x-ray, said, well, there's nothing I can find that's wrong with it. Have you changed your lifestyle any lately? Well, I started going to the gym and I started doing curls. <laughs> well, you dummy. You've worked your muscle and you've broken it down and now it's going to be sore. But when it heals back, it's going to be healed denser and stronger and bigger. Well, now that pain you wear as a badge of honor, as a badge of pride. You see how changing our perspective, if we look at all suffering, and this is First Timothy, I mean, this is First Peter 4, if we suffer as an evildoer, that's tragic. If we suffer as someone who is righteous, then that prepares us for our faith walk and makes us stronger, so we wear that pain and suffering as a badge of pride. So endurance and perseverance in trials, folks, we got to change our perspective. Remember, when I went into the sanctuary is when I understood their end. The wicked were prospering. It made me feel bad. But when I put it in the proper perspective, it was easy for me to take. This pain that we endure in our current life, when we put it in the perspective of eternity, it's easy for us to take. Finally, the hope and promise of return. A term that I have heard mentioned in the church recently is called the preacher's wife, first lady. The first lady of the congregation should be the poorest widow. Yeah, I, that is terrible. There, there's no, that's denominational. That's bad. That's, that's, there's no first lady in the church. There's not even a first man, a first gentleman. All right. The hope and promise of Christ's return. A fundamental aspect of Christian perspective is the hope in Christ's return and the promise of eternal life. And if you're not thinking about 1 Thessalonians 4, you need to be. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. Those who are dead in Christ will rise first. Those of us who are alive will follow them. We will meet him in the air, in the clouds, 
and so shall we ever be with the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. Comfort one another with these words. We have to change our focus, our, our perspective, and we need to look for Christ's return. And for those of you that have been listening to me for any length of time, you know Titus 2, 11 and following is coming. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Folks, this eternal perspective influences how Christians view their current struggles and success. We have to take a long view of righteousness and reward. You're going to look around and see the wicked prosper. You're going to look around and see cruel people be rewarded. I know Proverbs 28 once says, The wicked flee when no man pursue, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. And it seems like in these days that the righteous are um, not bold. They're timid, and the wicked are bold. But if you, ta- if you take that out on a long enough timeline, the righteous will always prosper over the wicked. Even if the wicked kill the righteous and they go to the grave, there will be a day when that trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ shall rise up and we'll all be changed in a moment, the twinkling of an eye, and we'll go be with him for eternity. Folks, Christians need to change our priorities. They need, we need to change our perspective. And we need to always prioritize and have the perspective of the sanctuary. And by sanctuary, I mean the body of Christ of which he is the head. Have you been added to that body? To exalt ourselves is devilish and not Christ-like. Absolutely. Yeah, replying to Danny Minner, yep, I've also heard that's Tony Brewer's church. Disgusting. It's Christ church. Yeah. Yeah, I, I always, I don't care how silly it sounds or pedantic it sounds, but whenever somebody says, yeah, that's, you know, um, back, 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 back at my church, I'm like, oh, you have a church? Did you die for a church? All right. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, Whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. We have to focus on the positive. We have to focus on that which is good. Why is it so important for Christians to change their priorities and their perspective? Because if we prioritize and focus on that which is not good, then that is the direction we will ultimately travel in. If we focus on the positive and focus on those things which are good, so if we change our perspective to eternity, if we prioritize eternity and prioritize and, and change our perspective to that which is good, then we will inevitably travel towards that direction. Order yourself towards the highest possible good of which you can conceive and live towards that. Go read Titus 2, 11 and follow me again, folks. Uh, we must be a peculiar people. That means we speak differently than the rest of the religious world. You got that right. 
That's all I've got here. I am so thankful for every one of you. Remember, if you have uh, show topics or questions, send an email to christianityisnow at gmail.com. If you want to send us a one-time donation, I would ask that you do it. Hold on a second. I can't find it. Right there. I would ask that you would send it to nearchurches at gmo.com. Hi, Tony. Just confirming that the email on the screen is correct. I didn't realize there's an is in there. Absolutely. Let me... Um, so nearchurches at gmo.com, that's the that's that's where you can that's the PayPal. But yeah, Christianity is now at gmail.com. That's Christianity is now at gmail.com. So if you have show topics or questions, send them there. Um also you can be a subscriber on Substack, totally free. Christianity Now streams. The link is in the the link is in the um well, the link is in the comments. You can you can subscribe there. And uh, that's all I'm going to bother you with today. Thank you, Tony. We're blessed to have you as a fellow soldier. I appreciate that, Danny Minter. And thank you, Scott Beck, for uh, uh, helping us clarify on the email. Um, and, yeah, I think that's all I've got. Thank you very much, folks. Remember, uh, I, haven't been pre- I haven't been pushing this very much, but we are – on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and TuneIn Radio, if you'd like to subscribe there. And on YouTube, if you if you want to help us out, you can, as, as uh, when I can't remember with Hey Hey Alabama or Terry Crooks, one said that they, they go to a YouTube channel and they'll just start playing a playlist and that playlist will automatically play. So if you're out and about and you're doing something, you just want to have some background noise, play that sucker. That That helps a lot. Uh, we, we, we can be monetized on YouTube, uh, 2000 uh, or 4,000 watch time hours. And if, and, and help me get a thousand subscribers, just invite people, invite people. God bless every one of you. Thank you. And, uh, this has been Tony Brewer with cogitations. We'll catch you on the flip side.